All right. So we are still in our series on the book of Mark. What's it called? Snapshots of the King. And if I could get the right notes to come up, it'd be nice. There we go. So today is our fourth week in this series. And I really, I really think it's been good for us to uh, look at the life of Christ through, through really snapshots of his life, little pictures of his life, and really see his character come out. We've gotten to see what's important to him. We've gotten to see how he conducts his life, what matters, the decisions he makes, how does he live. And I really, really think it's good for us. If this is the man that we call our Savior, then uh, it would be good for us to spend time on him and, and looking at his life. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do again, really, for the rest of this semester. Uh, and tonight, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. And I really hope that this, this account is going to be an encouragement to you wherever you are in life, because I think it puts on display the power and compassion of Jesus. The power and compassion of Jesus. So turn to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. I'll pray when I'm done and then we'll, we'll get to work. Go ahead and look up when you're there so I, I'm ready. Thanks for the thumbs up, Sarah. Appreciate that. All right, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. 
and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up, began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it, that it's not just some impersonal uh, book, but it's a book that has great value for our lives. It is there to challenge us and encourage us, but most importantly, it's there to point us to you, Jesus, and the work that you did. Would you help us tonight? Would you work in our hearts? Would you encourage us where we need encouraged? Where you Would you afflict us where we need to be challenged? And would you give us hope to trust you? And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a really, really hard situation where you feel like you're running out of options? Maybe it's like a relational situation in your life with a friend or somebody and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's something you can't seem to stop doing, something that time and time again you've told yourself, I'm never going to do that again. But sure enough, a week goes by and you've done it again. Maybe you've made some poor decisions and you can't undo them. Maybe life is just beating the mess out of you. Whether it's school, what's going on in your home. Maybe it's just beating you up. Whether it's relationships or health. Whether it's decisions you've made or sinful habits that you've built. I think every one of us knows what it's like to feel desperate. To feel desperate. To feel afraid. To feel like I've got nowhere else to go. Nowhere, no one else to turn to. And that's exactly how our two main characters of this account felt. Two main characters aside from Jesus. It's exactly how they felt. They felt like there were no other options, nowhere to go. Life had hit them upside the head so hard, they didn't know what to do. So I don't know what it is in your life, but as we work through this account, think about that for you. Maybe it was in the past. Maybe it's going on right now. Think about that. So in our text today, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue, which most likely would have made him a Pharisee. 
His job was to care for the synagogue. He would be in charge of order of service, and he would even do teaching. He would have been well looked up to by his community. This was a guy you wanted to be like if you were Jewish. He was the guy you would talk to your kids about, especially your boys, and say, if you could be like him, you'll be all right. He was influential and important. But his life changed radically with the sickness of his daughter. There there was no amount of obedience to the law that could exempt him from this storm. There was no amount of, God, but I lead this and I do this and I care for this that could exempt him from that moment when he realized that his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, was on death's doorstep. So while most of the religious leaders in, uh, in this time frame were busy quarreling with Jesus and fighting with Jesus about the oral law, not even just the scriptures, but the layers that they had added to scripture, Jairus, knowing he had no other option, came to Jesus. Desperation moved him to come to Jesus looking for help. Our second main character is this woman we meet in the crowd. So as Jesus uh, agrees to go with Jairus to his home to, to help with his daughter, this woman comes into the picture. We don't have a name. We don't know a whole lot about her. But we know she has a fairly unique condition. She's been having a constant discharge of blood from her body for 12 years. I hope this isn't too descriptive, but I need to explain to you what's going on here. This is bleeding from the uterus, most likely. And it's been going on for 12 years. 12 stinking years. So not only would this have been incredibly uncomfortable and and painful most like, but in Jewish culture, it would have also made her an outcast. According to the Old Testament, every time a woman was on her period, following, well, she was unclean during her period, and then following her period, she was unclean for seven more days. What that meant was she had no ability to go to the temple. Anyone who touched her could be put out from the city until they'd been made clean. They were ostracized for this. But this woman never had a break. She never got to see that seven days come to an end. Constantly, for 12 years, she was labeled as unclean. So if she was in school, she would have walked into her school and the the hallway would have parted because nobody would want to touch her. If she worked at a place like Fidelity Investments, you know, she would be sitting in her cubicle and then they would make sure nobody was around her if she got a job. She was a social 
outcast. Did I mention it was 12 years? Put yourself in this context. Imagine being this woman who could have no friends. Nobody wanted to talk to. Nobody would give you a hug, ever. Some of you guys are like, thank you. (laughs) But just imagine the lack of friendship and care in this time that she was experiencing. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd seen all the doctors she could see. She'd spent every bit of money that she had. Her condition was no better. In fact, the scriptures say it was worse. Some scholars actually believe she was close to death. She couldn't have lived much longer. No one cared for her. This is a desperate woman. Nowhere else to go. Nowhere to turn to. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe not to that extent where 12 years of rejection, but I'm sure you felt rejected at times. Felt like you didn't have your own place. Felt like people didn't love you or care for you the way you would hope. This is this woman. Both Jairus and this woman in the crowd were desperate and no amount of respect was given to her. No amount of respect or obedience or status could help them to avoid this suffering. Actually, in the Old Testament, uh, not in the Old Testament, actually, in Jewish culture, excuse me, um, it was not uncommon for if you had a sickness, many of your friends and people in the Jewish community would actually start asking you, what sin have you committed that had caused you to get this? So they started talking to her uh, about, well, what have you done? What have you hidden from us that God is cursing you for 12 years for? But in the midst of this great suffering is when our great Savior goes to work. In the midst of these desperate situations, Jesus goes to work. So what can we learn from this account from the book of Mark tonight? I really want to draw out for you three things. Three things. There are many other truths we can pull. There are places we could sit and talk for the whole night. But I want you to see three things tonight. And the first one is this. Your desperation. So whatever it is in your life, your desperation should always lead you to trusting Your desperation, those moments where you feel like you've got nowhere else to turn. Scriptures are going to tell you the best thing you can do then is go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. We see this with Jairus in verse 22 and 23. Then he came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by his name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And then he told him his situation. This man, Jairus, who had no hope, basically had decided, 
He's the only one I can turn to. I'm sure he had money to go to physicians, and he may have already tried that. We don't know. At some point in time, his desperation pushed him to the Savior. And then in verse 27 and 28, I'm not going to read it for you. We read it a couple times. You see this woman who has been living with this condition for 12 years. And she just gets it into her head that maybe, maybe if I can just touch a piece of his clothing, I can be healed. Their desperation actually propelled them to Jesus. It pushed them to the, the Savior. Can the same be said for you? Think about whatever it is in your life right now. Are you truly letting your desperation push you to the Savior? Are you like Jairus or like this woman who recognizes, I just got to get to him. If I can get to him, it'll be okay. Sadly, I think many of us, even Christians, try to run somewhere else in their desperation. Some of us run to social media. When we feel lonely or discontent, we post a status or a tweet, we share a photo on Instagram, and then we watch how many likes and how many comments we get. Have you ever wondered why most Twitter accounts, most Facebook accounts, most Instagrams they're either complaining or bragging. So I'm either complaining about how unfair the world is or I'm trying to tell the world how awesome my life is. And so we, as we scroll through that feed, we're tempted to just continue to think everybody else has it better than I do. Or we put things up and just Hope and pray that we'll get a comment from this person, this guy, or this girl. We just hope that will happen. I'll be honest with you. One of my major struggles is when I'm in my desperate moments, I run to people before I run to Jesus. If I've got a problem or if I've got a, something that I'm, a sin that I'm trying to conquer or something that's going on in my life or something I can't understand, I'm so quick to run to other people. Then get on my knees at the feet of Jesus in prayer and through his word. Can you honestly say that your desperation, your hard moments, your dark moments, they push you to Jesus? I don't know where you go in your desperation. I can't pinpoint it for every single one of you. But if you'll actually spend some time looking at your own life, I think you could identify some places you run to. 
when, when times get tough. I want to tell you, and I want to show you this from Scripture, that these people were rewarded from going to Jesus. They were rewarded for going to Jesus out of desperation. Go to him in prayer and in the word. Trust that he can help you in your hurt and in your heartache. Your desperation should lead you to Jesus. I think another thing that we see, and they're really closely connected, is that Jesus can help you turn your fear into faith. Jesus can actually help you turn your fear into faith. Both of these people's position started in a position of fear. Jairus was afraid he would lose his daughter. This woman was afraid she would die or that things would never change and she'd be an outcast for the rest of her life. It was fear that actually drove them to faith in the person of Jesus. Verse 35 is an interesting moment where right after... Well, actually, let's read it again because this is really like a turning point. Verse 35 says, While he was still speaking, this was to the lady, the woman from the crowd, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Try to think like this, this dad right now. Some of you have had to go to funerals of your grandparents. Some of you have lost close friends or loved ones. But there's got to be nothing worse than having to bury your own child. Can you imagine being this dad and he's with Jesus. He thinks things will be fine if I can get Jesus to my daughter. And these people come and say, I'm sorry, she's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Can you imagine what's going on in his head in that moment? Jesus, though, overheard them speaking, and he said these words, Do not fear, only believe. So in that moment when the fears were pressing in on Jairus, when everything in him was concerned, was afraid, was despairing. Jesus said, don't fear. Just believe. Now, I think if, if he did not believe or didn't believe that Jesus could do this, the trip might have ended right here. But I think by the fact that Jesus walks into the house and does what he does, we can recognize that his fear in that moment was turned to faith in the person of Jesus. That Jesus not only had power, but had compassion to work. This is Jesus. It's interesting when it comes to this woman from the crowd, that her fear fueled such a faith that she recognized, I think I can just touch the corner of his robes 
and I think I'm going to be okay. In verse 34, we read this. Well, let's go back to 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, and she told him the whole truth. Can you imagine that moment? Like, we've got to put ourselves in these, in these, in these accounts or they just sound like fairy, fairy tales. Can you imagine being the woman who's just touched Jesus? She can feel the, the disease has left her. Her body is dried up. And Jesus stops everyone around him and said, Who touched me? His disciples get frustrated. Because they're like, Jesus, there's about 20 people right now touching you. We're in the middle of a crowd. But Jesus knew what had just happened. Who touched me? I can only imagine what she felt like in that moment. And it says she came down to Jesus' feet. She knelt at his feet and she was afraid and trembling. But... She told him the truth. That's what it says if you look in your copy of the scriptures. She told him the truth. And then we read, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That phrase, your faith has made you well, can also be translated, your faith has saved you. She actually, in this moment, wasn't just receiving physical health, because why would Jesus say in two times in one sentence, you've been healed? You've been healed, you've been healed. That doesn't make any sense. He's saying, you've been saved and you're healed. Spiritually and physically, you have been healed. Her fear pushed her towards telling the truth and trusting in Jesus for salvation. How is your fear affecting your life? Fear often can paralyze us to make no decision or no change because we're so afraid of what might happen if we fail. It can cause us to do crazy things in the moment because we're so afraid and being driven by our fear. But Jesus can turn your fear into faith in the middle of suffering. So once again, think about what life looks like for you and are you allowing that fear to to drive you to faith in this person you call your savior if you're a Christian? Or are you allowing fear to truly paralyze you and to live as one who does not have a savior? I can't can't tell you what's going on in your life, but this is the Jesus that we serve if we're a Christian. This same man who looked at these two people and had compassion on them. Now we know what it's like to have compassion, but we don't have the power to do what Jesus did. Jesus had both power and compassion and I want to just draw something out for you real quick notice that their faith actually moved them to action not inaction the faith that was manifested in them drove them to go speak to Jesus or touch Jesus or tell the truth 
their faith caused action in their life. Faith doesn't manifest itself in apathy or laziness. Faith manifests itself in action for the kingdom, in action in your personal holiness, in pushing you towards your Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is that great moment where you get to look at this woman and she realized her need for a Savior and He saved her. Her sin was dealt with. Jesus paid for it. She has no more condemnation anymore. You too can have faith in Jesus for salvation. So Jesus can help turn your fear into faith in the middle of suffering. And then finally, true faith True faith trusts not only in the power of Jesus, but also in the timing of Jesus. True faith trusts not only in the power of Jesus, but also in the timing of Jesus. Jesus cares for you. True faith trusts both in his power and his timing. Jesus, listen to this one, Jesus is the only person where power and compassion combine perfectly. Jesus is the only person where power and compassion combine perfectly. We have compassion on people in our lives, but sometimes there's absolutely nothing we can do to help. But Jesus has both the power and compassion to change these people's lives forever. That's the Savior that we serve. So Jairus gets to see, and we read this, but I just kind of walk you through it here real quick. He brings Jesus into his home, gets laughed at, because Jesus says, she's only mostly dead. Anybody catch that quote? He says she's sleeping. Jesus knew she was dead. He's not an idiot. But he's saying she's not really dead. She's coming back. Walks upstairs. Takes her by the hand. Says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Can you imagine being Jairus and his wife watching your daughter come back to life in front of your eyes? That's mind-blowing. But why did Jesus let it get that far? Elsewhere in scripture, Jesus doesn't need to go to the person to heal them. We see him heal people from far off. We see him cast demons out from a different place. Why did Jesus allow it to get to that point? I can honestly tell you, I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. I have no idea. But that's why we trust not just simply in the power of Jesus, but in his timing. His timing is perfect. If we truly believe that Jesus cares about us, he knows what's best for us, both in how it goes and when it happens.
That is the Jesus we serve. And then we look at this woman once again who Jesus cleansed her forever. She was not going to have this issue again. Jesus healed her. And then he gave her grace of salvation. But anybody kind of who's thinking a little bit about this would say, couldn't he have done it a lot sooner? Why did she have to go through 12 years of rejection, of heartache, of being an outcast? And I can honestly say I have no idea. But I can almost promise you she's not asking that question. She may have to process through some of the past, but I can almost guarantee you she's not going, Jesus, what took you so long? She's saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. She trusted in the power of Jesus and in his timing. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the king that all Christians have submitted their lives to. Jesus, this person where power and compassion combine perfectly to offer eternal life to all who would trust him. Not just say I believe in a Jesus or that somebody once lived, but actually bowing your knee at the feet of Jesus, repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ for salvation. That is the Savior we serve. So friends, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know everything that's pressing in on you. I don't know what's going on in your home or at school or at work. But I do know this. I know you can trust Jesus. I know that if you'll bow your face at the feet of Jesus and trust him, you can be saved. But you can also find hope for tomorrow as a Christian. Because Jesus' power and his timing are perfect. Because he can help you turn your fear into faith on a daily basis. I promise you, if you would just, in your desperation, let it lead you to the Savior, you will find hope and help for your life. Things not going to be perfect. This woman who got healed probably had hard things happen in her life after that, but she was forever changed by her experience with Jesus. Jairus, we don't really see much about what, talking about grace in his life or salvation, but I can guarantee you his life was different. Nobody watches that and is not changed in some way. Let your desperation lead you to the Savior. Let 
him turn your fear into faith and trust both his power and his timing to work things out in your life.